0: Welcome to the One Last Sketch Podcast, the show dedicated to history, science fiction, and fantasy. I'm Michael. And I'm Marie. And on today, our 14th episode, we're discussing a subject very dear to Marie's heart. (coughs) Dragons! Dragons! Oh my god. (laughs) Which is no surprise to anyone, because we've already recorded two episodes about dragon-themed books.
1: Although you did
0: suggest,
1: I think, both of them, so not my fault. (laughs) Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Today we're doing a more general episode about dragon books for young people, specifically.
1: And why they are awesome.
0: So... Why dragons? What made them so attractive to you when you were a kid that made you pick up all these dragon-themed books?
1: I don't really know. I mean, I was a tomboy, which probably surprises nobody for most of my in my youth until well into high school. And um, dragons are just so innately awesome, so that's that's why dragons. It was a little obsessive
0: in retrospect. I was not nearly the dragon aficionado that marie was when she was younger or that she is now
1: yeah if you if you can be um i'm surpassed probably only by people on other kin websites which is okay i'm fine (laughs) with that
0: (laughs) dragons are interesting creatures in that they span just about every world mythology Mm -hmm. you'll find a dragon or dragon-like creature somewhere (laughs) which is part of their appeal, I'm sure, in Mm -hmm. that there's something in the human mind that just says, dragons, I like that general shape. Let's tell stories about them. Yes. So because this is a middle-grade and YA-themed episode, there are some general traits to dragons in these forms, especially in the popular books. Yes. In that we're not talking about evil stomping dragons, or not for the most part. Mostly we're talking about friendly, benign dragons that... Carry people all over the place, and you can befriend them and, and you have your giant pet dragon tagging along with you, or instructing you, as the case may be. Or a giant sarcastic dragon who nevertheless sort of kicks ass that kind of helps you. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You have to wonder, though, why the evil dragon isn't nearly as popular now as the early stories. Yeah. Well, yeah, have to, Because, I mean, I'm guessing we're, if we're going to start sort of in the
1: evil dragon, just to get it out of the way, you'd be thinking sort of like Smog and Beowulf's dragon. Yes,
0: we are <laughs> going to be talking about Smaug, the Great and Terrible, <laughs> first.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure why that transition happened, other than maybe this shape was kind of neat, and with the whole... Um, eh, maybe as, as anti-hero and realism things came along, they just decided to tell that story differently. Although, I think there was always kind of a sense that dragons were had some kind of... Mm, I don't want to necessarily say wisdom, because not all of them display that definitely in, like, older stories, but some sort of knowledge beyond human ken kind of thing, and in the exploration of that, maybe that's when they changed. But I suppose we should start... At the start, which would be in this case with Smog, or really Beowulf's dragon, which is what
0: Smog is. So there you go. <laughs> or specifically Fafnir in the Volsum saga. Yes. Because that one talks.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Smog, actually, for all that The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, published in, I believe, 1938, was focused around going to the mountain and defeating this dragon. He is not in the book all that much. No, he does make a pretty big impression, and is extremely memorable memorable for the brief period that he's there.
1: Yes, he's. Uh, let me grab some of my reference material here. He's. Um, I think that what makes Smog terrifying is that he's not stupid. Is one of the main things when you when you're a kid, anyway. Is just his. um... It's all uh, the whole episode is almost like. Riddling versus round two. The first first bit where Bilbo has to riddle is with Gollum, but now it's almost like he's trying to fool Smog. But Smog seems a lot more clever than Gollum at this point. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. For for that one conversation there, that conversation is classic. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It might not last very long when Hop, when Bilbo Baggins is talking to Smog, but it sticks in your memory and you just think Smog. For all that he's an evil dragon, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> he is pretty awesome. <laughs> obviously extremely intelligent, maybe just a little bit vain. Oh, baby. This is downfall. <laughs> yes, a little bit. And yeah, he destroys a town, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, so that that's where we're going to leave off on Smaug, because this is a really old book, and yeah. we Doesn't... have a lot of material to get through. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily fit into the YA context that we're talking mainly in this podcast, so... (laughs) Yes, just like the second example I'm bringing up is also not YA, it's a children's book, but I think the first encounter most children have with dragons, which is The Paper Bag Princess by Robert Munch, (laughs) first published in 1980, in which Princess Elizabeth tries to save Prince Ronald, succeeds, but realizes he's a bum.
1: Yep. (laughs) Teaching many a young lady an important lesson...
0: Guys be dicks. There is a dragon in this one, which is why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. But as a character, dragon doesn't really do that much.
1: No, he's kind of boring.
0: Sort this of is also not a benign dragon, even though he's not really that threatening. Well, it's a children's he's, story, so... Yeah, Elizabeth smarts him pretty well. Yep, yep. So, But I do think the illustrations for this were really... brings people into a love for dragons after reading The Paper Bag Princess, because they are fantastic. Well, if we're going to talk about children's things, then I should briefly mention my
1: favorite book of poetry, which Mm -hmm. is The Dragons Are Singing Tonight by Jack Prolecki, which...
0: uh, Also doesn't have benign dragons.
1: Yes. Well, some of them are. I mean, I Have a Dozen Dragons is a poem about a kid who just bought him a dozen dragons at the mall, and they have them, and they're awesome. And uh, But some of them are, not, are much more forbidding. And it's a nice mixture of sarcasm, vague, vague images, kind of threatening, some threatening images, but all told in a wonderful, simple, poetic way that is mainly hilarious. For example, I can recite a short four-line one, because I have them memorized, apparently, <laughs> um, called My Dragon's Been Disconsolate. And it goes quite simply like this. My dragon's been disconsolate and cannot help but pout since he defied a thunderstorm that put his fire out.
0: And that's more or less the tenor of all the poems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from there, we're going to move on to our first proper middle-grade novel, Mm -hmm. which is Jeremy Thatcher, Dragon Hatcher, published in 1991. The author is Bruce Coville. Mm -hmm. It is a part of a longer series called The Magic Shop Books.
1: Yes, which I didn't actually know until you told me that. I'd always just assumed it was a standalone when I was a kid.
0: Well, that's because this was the only book in that series I read as a kid, so I didn't know either. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely the most popular one, and if it was in a grade 5 classroom in Whitehorse, Yukon, then you can probably find it just about in any grade 5 classroom anywhere. Indeed.
1: My great elementary school had it in its library, so there you go. Mm
0: -hmm. The main character is obviously Jeremy Thatcher, Mm -hmm. and the plot involves him getting a magic egg, or a dragon egg from this magic shop. Mm-hmm. And hatching it. Yeah. And it's a really great story. I, I'm a little vague on the details now because
1: it's been a long time. But I'm pretty sure he's the only one who can see the dragon. Because I do remember one episode where his mother basically walks in on him and the dragon. And she can't see the dragon at all. But the dragon tries
0: to crawl up his leg and his arm.
1: Which hurts. cuz yeah,
0: adults can't see it. Because there is Mary Lou Hutton can see the dragon.
1: Ah, that's what it is. Which I... is
0: the girl who he does not like... At the beginning, mm. that changes. Yes. That's being ten. the kind of book that it is. <laughs> yep, tends to. <laughs> uh, I don't really remember what he does
1: with his dragon in that story, but I do remember really enjoying it as a child.
0: <laughs> well, he releases the dragon back into its world at mm. the end. Which yeah. Which is the whole right. climax build-up. Yeah. Again, there's not much of a threat present here. Nothing that would scare children all that much.
1: It's for, oh my god, there's a dragon and that's awesome!
0: Yes, a dragon named Tiamat, <laughs> and the lady dragon actually. That's funny. Yeah.
1: Good, good, good book about uh, ultimately responsi- responsibility because you can't keep something like that in your bedroom forever, even though you want to. So,
0: mm-hmm. it's yeah. a very gentle book, and definitely. Good for 10-year-olds around that age period. I'm sure I read it. Obviously, why it's so
1: popular. (laughs) I'm sure I read it a couple times, but it's overshadowed in my mind by another book, which is sort of the same-ish. I'd say it might be for a little bit older kids, called Eddie's Blue-Winged Dragon. And this is a story about a, um, and I'm telling this from memory as well, about a kid named Eddie, obviously. Uh, He has cerebral palsy, if I remember correctly. And he gets this sort of dragon mobile, again, from some kind of a shop that has it. And this dragon mobile thing just sort of sits in his house. But he, being a kid with a disability, gets bullied a lot. And he has these lucid dreams of uh, revenge. And then he wakes up and discovers that actually, um, I think, for example, the bully's, the bully's um, treehouse in the woods or whatever was burned down, presumably by this dragon, which sort of acts out on his impotent rage. And otherwise there's lots of other sort of, you know, gross and other sort of usual kind of young adult themes going on, and I don't actually remember how it ends or what he does with the dragon. I feel like he gets rid of it in some way, or at least he dissipates his sort of angst to a point where it doesn't matter anymore.
0: But and that's a great... I can't fill you in yeah. on the missing plot elements, because I did not read this. Before. It's
1: a great book for kids who might need a little bit of revenge fantasy,
0: because
1: <laughs> there's a lot of that in, that in it.
0: Yes, and on that same note, the Mm. never-ending story Mm. as a revenge fantasy played out with a dragon as well. Mm. But we're probably not going to go into that too much. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Obviously, the Pit Dragon Chronicles by Jane Yolen are a major one. Amazing. In the eighties, we already did a full episode on that series, so. Yeah, go back go and, and listen to that. listen to that if you want to know more. What yes. we're going to say now is, it's great, everyone should read these books, like, now. Yeah. <laughs> and I bring that up because as a science fiction setting for the dragons, which mm. leads into probably the most popular series about dragons ever, which yes. is The Dragon Riders of Pern by Anne McCaffrey.
1: For which Michael will
0: not forgive me for making him read the first book of... <laughs>
1: 'Cause the unfortunate thing, and I reread Dragonflight myself in preparation for this, is it's actually I think Anne McCaffrey's worst written book. Like seriously, it's bad. <laughs> on on many on just many mechanical levels. Um, I don't think the story itself is actually bad. You I know you had lots of complaints about it, but I think it's fine,
0: <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, well I did not read Dragon Riders of Pern when I was a kid. The only mm-hmm. McCaffrey book I think I read was A the Unicorn Girl, because, you know, young boys read that stuff. Yep, very uh, <laughs> um, To quick- Dragon Flights, the full novel, was first published in 1968, mm-hmm. but it does have a publishing history that is a bit odd. Yeah.
1: And I think but offers... This is a
0: fix-up novel.
1: Yeah, and that offers an explanation for why the plot is so truncated and stops and starts of the characters that are really two-dimensional, and it's strange when you read Dragonflight and then follow it up immediately with Dragon Quest, because Dragon Quest just flows nicer, and the characters act more like people. And it's always funny, because when I think about the the those two books in retrospect, I always sort of mesh them together in my mind as a single story, because Dragon Quest really just picks up. It's seven years later, but it's really ultimately the same narrative, same people, same stuff goes on. Um, technically there's a third book in the series, The White Dragon, but I didn't reread that because it's, I remember being vaguely irritated by the main character for most of it. So yeah, I didn't.
0: Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that Anne McCaffrey is highly influential and very popular. Yeah. I mean, her... Even at the time that these books came out or as short stories the origins are as three novellas that were published in Analog mm-hmm. and this book takes the first and second one but doesn't have the third novella yeah. instead weaves another story around those but both those novellas won awards the first one the Hugo the second one the Nebula mm-hmm. and McCaffrey was the first woman to win either of those Yeah and uh, she's it is they are important because she does create female characters that I
1: to quote her, well, to quote her as I read her on Wikipedia, so who knows how accurate it is, um, she, was, she was a bit tired of Pulp Fiction females who just sort of stood around and screamed. And she is good, useful for creating female characters that are hard-headed, stubborn, and get shit done. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as you may not like Lessa and her magic magic and her sort of strange ways mm-hmm. and dragon flight, It's not just Lessa, it's everyone. <laughs> everyone. Continue... I know you didn't like the story, but it's a great story. It's to, to we do
0: need to get into the story before we continue on. Yeah, because to... this is supposed to be a science fiction novel. Yes, but the science fiction is only in the prologue.
1: Yes, and if you if, if you were if you like me as a child didn't think you were supposed to read prologues, you'd miss that whole bit, and it actually doesn't affect it too much.
0: Um, no, it's only there to get published in analog, essentially, because yeah. John W. Campbell apparently hated fantasy, yeah. but if you put a prologue in, he'd overlook that caveat.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest does get a lot more into the science fiction elements as they start finding old older devices that are left behind. But let me just describe briefly what happened the world of Pern, so that people who haven't read these books have an idea of what the hell we're talking about. So, there's a planet, it's called Pern, and on it... Uh, settlers from the far future in their spaceships landed and discovered that Pern has this innate problem where another planet, which they call the Red Star typically, tends to orbit somewhat close to Pern and these... They're described as mycorrhizae, which doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense in a biological sort of way, but hey, we roll with the times. Um... (laughs) Ten, these, this planet tends to send spores onto Pern, and these spores are voracious and eat any kind of organic matter. And after settling on the planet, it seems that these spacefaring people lose, lost a lot of their technology, sort of degenerated kind of into a, I don't know, where do you put it, like
0: 16th century, 17th century sort of technology level. And uh, yeah, technology level about that societal level, maybe ninth, seventh century. <laughs> yeah, it's they've they really regressed, um,
1: and uh, they and their solution to having these things that are falling on the planet was to ultimately breed up dragons, which are not really like most dragons. They have kind of multifaceted eyes, and it's a little bit unclear if they have. S- I think she does mention scales in a couple things, but most of the time it sort of just mentions them as having sort of skin.
0: And yeah, mainly the big difference between McCaffrey's dragons and other dragons is that these ones can teleport sometimes through time.
1: Yes, and th- th- this is called going between. They just kind of slip into another space thing and they can be anywhere instantaneously, which is really handy. Also, they are, te- they are telepathically linked with one human being, which occurs when, as they hatch. This moment is called impression, which I think is a great kind of a pun. And uh, the, this happens in a ceremonial way, and then the person that, uh, who impresses the dragon is their rider for the rest of life, etc., etc. Uh, the dragons chew a kind of stone, which causes them to sort of create gassy emissions, which ignite upon contact with the air, I believe, and they use, then fly through the air and burn the falling spores, which are called Thread, out of the sky. And the secondary protection created for Perd was a bunch of grubs, but you don't really get into that until you read Dragon Quest, and it's kind of funny how they're like, seriously, grubs? I, I much prefer dragons, and so does everybody reading the book. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, obviously why they went for the one defense over the other one.
1: Well, no, they had the second defense as well, it's just... For some it's reason just
0: not on the forefront. They also have flamethrowers, so third defense, I guess. Yeah. For
1: some reason the grubs weren't put into the northern continent, which is where most people live, and I feel that's almost a plot coupon for the second book. But yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh I will say that the first two parts of this which were the novellas were the hardest going for me. Mm-hmm. And it was it definitely got a lot better in the second half mm-hmm. except that I had a bit of a problem with the way the time travel plot just completely sucks the tension. Yes. Um, anything that's going on because they already know they're going to succeed in doing something before they do it, which is sort of
1: true here, standing outside the narrative. But in the narrative, I have to disagree. I think there there's a lot of angst going on about how do we do this, and they're not really sure. Yes, there is definitely lots of angst within
0: the narrative.
1: <laughs> there's a of angst. There's a lot of angst. Power is going on here. Um, mm-hmm. This is, I find F- Falar hilarious in this story, to be honest, because he's. Quite a bit more competent in Dragon Quest, but in this story, he just sort of wanders around. There's a lot of people who are just kind of wandering around. That's and, yeah. very
0: good to know, actually.
1: <laughs> yes. A lot of the characters who I have fond memories of, upon rereading this story, I was like, wow, I totally erased the uh, sort of terrible writing of this story and replaced it with the much better plot pacing of later stories. So I guess I'd mm-hmm. forgotten that bit. So I would say to you out there, if you're reading Dragonflight, you're finding it kind of awful... Um, persevere, or drop it and just move on to Dragon
0: Quest. Yes, and are you recommending this for the young people to read?
1: Oh, I think so. It's a lot of fun. It's, um... Some of these sort of gender issues actually do get a little weird, I have to say, and <laughs> how people just a little. are. Just little. There's some sexuality in there that some parents might not like. But I kind of liked, liked it as a child, because it was one of the first... Books where I started to get a sense of the politics of a world, as opposed to just a couple people doing something, because most B Y A novels are pretty focused on the individuals involved. But this one takes a whole planet of um, motives in, into play as they had to face this coming catastrophe. And um, oh, another key p- plot point, I guess, would be that the Red Star has an erratic orbit, and occasionally it doesn't come close enough to actually drop thread. For a yeah, good 400 so years.
0: So, this time around, it's a, it coming in a 200 year interval. It's been 400 years, and nobody's prepared, and they think the dragon riders are redundant.
1: Yes, and don't then.
0: need them for anything, and then the thread comes, and like, oh, that's why we had dragons. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: the dragons themselves are pretty hilarious.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Being fairly sort of placid, fairly sarcastic, sort of uncomprehending of how humans do anything or why humans have motivations for anything. They just sort of are around. And I think for a young person, the idea of a creature that's entirely devoted to you is a great idea, and in and of itself will be a good
0: motive for reading the story. <laughs> Certainly. The science fictional aspects do suffer somewhat after having read The Pit Dragon Chronicle. Yeah, I, I mean, because I don't... Because I was reading Dragonflight, and my mind kept on going back to what Jane Yolen did, which oh. probably did not help...
1: And they're it's not so really cool. a fair comparison. They're written at different time periods. They're written kind of in different styles, very much. Yeah.
0: It's, it's just the premise, that's all. But yeah. it's it's still nagged in my mind while I was going along.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> still think it's a pretty good book. And obviously there are so many pern books and wow, there's a lot of pern books. I I think no, if you want
0: to sink <laughs> yourself into a really long running series with lots of content in it. Mm-hmm. Really, this is one of the series you would choose.
1: Just as a warning, uh, the book Moretta, Dragon Lady of Pern, and Nerilka's story tell the exact same tale, just from two different points of view. So don't read the Norse and
0: Scott card.
1: <laughs> yeah, so don't read those both unless you're really into doing that kind of thing. I'd just read Moretta, Dragon Lady of Pern, to be honest. She's the more interesting story. So
0: <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. So, we're going to move on to what is probably the big elephant in the room for middle grade mm-hmm. dragon books, which is Dealing with Dragons.
1: Oh my god! The best book ever!
0: <laughs> the first book in the Enchanted Forest Chronicles by Patricia C. Reedy, first published in 1990. Yes, an excellent yeah. novel. Yeah, I became aware of this because Marie kept on telling me about it, so I read it. But when I read it, I realized that when I went to young authors' conferences in high school and came across all these stories by young women about people in fairy tale situations or snarking along with dragons, and there were a lot of stories like this, that they all came from one source. Yes.
1: (laughs) Dealing with dragons is a pretty simple narrative. Simarin, I think she's the seventh daughter of... uh, Hang on, i got the copy of the book right here. Seventh daughter of the kingdom of something. Uh, Linderwald. There we go. Um decides that she doesn't like being a princess because it's pretty boring and you have to curtsy a lot. <laughs> so she uh, complains in, a, in her garden. A toad hears her says, Hey, walk along this way. Knock on a door. Say some magic words. Walk in. Some people can help you. And I believe the words that she said were something on the lines of, I'd rather be eaten by a dragon, which is kind of funny because the toad is literally thinking, Oh, well, I know a dragon. Anyway, she ends up being transported to the Mountains of Warning where the dragons live. And uh, she convinces one of them to take her on as a princess. This is the dragon Kazool, who's pretty awesome in many ways. And basically, as Kazool's princess, she encounters some evil wizards, she helps defeat said evil wizards, and much fun and rollicking is had in the context of, basically, as you said, snarking about fairy tale conventions.
0: Now, when I read this book the first time, I think I told you that I probably wouldn't have read this when I was a kid. No, you were a boy. (laughs) But now I actually remember that I read Reedy's short story collection, The Book of Enchantments, when I was Mm
1: -hmm. 10 or
0: 11, because my sister brought it home from the library. Mm -hmm. And I read that and really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So it might have been that I just wasn't aware <laughs> yes. of dealing with dragons at all. I would so, say, though... Know, high school would, that, Those high school young authors' conferences would have made a lot more sense if I had. Yes.
1: Um, the Book of Enchantments, just to briefly talk, mention it, is a little bit more adult than the Enchantment uh, Forest Chronicles, so it's funny that you enjoyed that at that age, too.
0: <laughs> well, you can enjoy reading at any age. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, you, an extremely clever writer, which you, is the main attraction.
1: You would have encountered the the last story in the Book of Enchantments, the one around the frying pan of Doom, which in fact features Cimmern and Mendenbar and Daystar and many of the characters from the Enchanted Force Chronicles in a sort of a one-off story about uh, Enchanted Frying Pan. Oh yes, the
0: story is called Utensil Strength. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you can resist a story called Utensil Strength that has an enchanted frying pan of doom, well, yeah, I can't help you. Yep,
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, you have no soul or any kind of desire to partake. So in suffice awesome. to say
0: that dealing with dragons is extremely charming.
1: Mm-hmm. You should probably mention in more detail what actually makes it charming. Um, what happens as you're reading this is that even as and even young children will be able to pick this out and. I mean, I think it's written more for a pre-teeny or teenager. But there's often, for example, Simran has this problem with uh, these princes and knights who keep coming to rescue her, but she doesn't want to be rescued. And really, the reason that they're doing it is because that's what you do when there's a princess who's been captured or is with a dragon. You, you rescue her. And there's this constant sense that the world is... Falling into these fairy tale tropes, and she seems to be. She and a few people seem to be the only one interested in thwarting these tropes and stepping outside the boundaries. Another hilarious character is the witch Morwen, who um is very not witchy in the sense that she, you know, keeps clean, um <laughs> doesn't tend to cackle or bend over much, and but she's very effective nonetheless, and has a very no nonsense stance, and. Can't put up with anyone else. Of course, the dragon Kazul is, well, a female, for one thing. Later becomes the king of dragons, and there's a lot of hilarity around how the word king doesn't necessarily have to be gender-specific. And um, described on the cover as a dangerously charming dragon. There you
0: go. <laughs> and this is, as I said before, the first book in a series, mm-hmm. most of which focus around Simarine having to thwart the wizard's yeah. who are constantly trying to steal power from the dragons.
1: Yeah. Initially from the dragons, then from the Enchanted Forest. It is called the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, because it does kind of move its focus from the Mountains of Morning to the Enchanted Forest, since, to be honest, the Enchanted Forest is a slightly more interesting place. Uh, the dragons remain a kind of uh, a trump card in the entire series, as, as in, if you ran into one um, and you were a wizard, that would be highly problematic for the wizard. And a lot of Solving the problems involves just, you know, kind of having a dragon around.
0: Unless Anyways. you have Dragon's Bane.
1: Yes. Or yeah. wizard Staff. Then you make them sneeze. just mm. annoying,
0: usually. <laughs> I guess it's worth saying that not all the dragons are benign in no. you know, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles. No, so there's the, there's, there's the tra- some internal pol- politicking going on.
1: Yes, there's the Traitor Warag, I believe is his name. Yeah. He leagues up with the dragon, with the wizards, and attempts to get the crown of dragons because he wants—he's power mad. It's t- pretty typical kind of motivation. He gets turned into a toad and stepped on at some point, I think.
0: Because spoilers.
1: Yeah, spoilers.
0: <laughs> I think Reedy is influential in a big way, but doesn't get enough credit for it because. Yeah. When I posted on Facebook that I was reading this book a few years ago, mm. just about every woman on my friend's list was like, that was my favorite book when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean... And it, it comes up in lists all the time, and I'm pretty sure the audience for it is very large and that a lot of writers were inspired by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it features a female character who's intelligent and capable of dealing with, with her own problems. And capable also of dealing with dragons. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And plus, considering all the middle grade dragon novels that came after 1990 and dealing with dragons, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of them did owe quite a big debt to Reedy. Mm-hmm.
1: The dragons are maintained as as being sort of, you know, like just like people, you can have good ones and bad ones, but they're always sort of, maintain an, an awesomeness to them, even when they're being kind of funny
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> or sarcastic, which is a really great vibe to keep in a story that's targeted at a fairly um, young audience, I'd say. But it's definitely a book that I reread on the days when I'm, you know, stuck at home feeling sick, because you can go through it pretty quickly as an adult, and it's always, always hilarious and enjoyable.
0: Yeah, so I think we've gushed about that one enough. Probably, I would have brought up the Earthsea books, except that Marie hasn't read them. Yeah, and while I can we only may say it's, it's Ursula K. Le Guin, it was so great, so they're going to be good. And
1: um, I mean, while we may not respect spoilers
0: for you people, we do respect spoilers for each other. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, our audience, we appreciate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I guess moving into more recent YA stuff, I would like to make an observation about Uragon by Christopher Paolini, which was the major dragon (sighs) book when I was in high school, which is basically a mashup of all the books we've talked about besides dealing with dragons, I think it's fair to say. Yep. Also... The elements don't really work together, but that's...
1: Also a fair bit of Lord of the Rings and Dragonlance type stuff going on there. I remember I read it because I had a dragon on it, and that was really all the criteria I had for quite a lot of books as a high school person. And I really didn't like it at all. I felt it was not that well written. Kind of boring. Kind of yes, didn't like the gender dynamic. of. I think there, I think he has visions of, it, of some elf lady that he goes and saves because she's hot, largely. I'm not yes, sure. Yes, well,
0: I only read mm-hmm. the prologue. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I do think that the popularity of these books really has to do with the dragon covers. Yeah. And the fact that it has this dynamic of guy gets dragon who he hatches and becomes friends with and has a telepathic link with, like most of the books we've talked about so far.
1: Yeah. And uh, it flies on. I think sort of the expectations of that. I haven't read um, one of the next ones, eldest, and then it's a complicated name.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: so yeah, that one. I haven't read them. And um, because I was so disappointed with Aragon in general, I just. I mean, when you compare, I mean, if you're going to compare the Dragon Riders of Pern to Jane O'Land, if you compare Aragon to Jane Jane O'Land's Pit Dragon Chronicles, it really falls short.
0: If you compare Aragon to the Dragon Riders of Pern, <laughs> it falls short. <laughs> it definitely
1: does. Yeah. So, let's, let's move on from that one. You're depressing me. <laughs> oh, there's a, another book series that contains fairly benign dragons. Um, it's by Mercedes Lackey and Andrew Norton, which may or may not really appeal to you. And um, they're definitely my guilty pleasure authors. So... <laughs> This is the book series, it's a trilogy, as so many things in fantasy are, called the Elven Bane. And it's about a world in which elves came through a portal and enslaved humanity with their magic magic. Uh, But there's also from some other land as well on Earth, because now Earth is sent back thousands of years in terms of technology, because this is a common theme. Um... Also, dragons have come from another place. But they're kind of shapeshifters, by which I mean they are shapeshifters. And they basically just like to shit stir. They live off in the wilds where elves don't know that they exist. They like to go and pretend to be various creatures and use their magic to kind of uh, cause issues. And yeah, that's the the sort of setup for the story. The main thrust of the story is around this girl who is half-elf, half-human, because of course there's lots of prostitution. This suggests, actually, to me this is probably not a YA novel at all, but I read it as a young person, so there you go. Oh, Mercedes
0: Lackey is kind of something that you read at that age. It is true. And And this is YA before there was YA. Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, the the thing about uh, half-elves is that they are, of course, more powerful than either humans or elves, because that always happens. (laughs) And, uh, basically, she and, and... ends up being raised by dragons, and then much much fighty fight happens later on in the stories against the evil elves.
0: Yep. Yes, yeah, so well, if we're going to talk about slightly not age-appropriate things that we read in middle school or as teenagers that have shape-shifting dragons, huh? I think we do have to talk about Dragonlance. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I did, in fact, read three Dragonlance novels. And then I never read any more Dragonlance novels. (laughs) I read the. them.
0: I read them. Um,
1: It was the Dragons of Autumn something. Twilight, Twilight, Winter Night, and Spring Dawning. Read those ones.
0: With these just absolutely (laughs) perfect covers for the content that they had. Yes. At least the original 80s ones. Yes. Uh, For those of you who don't know, these books were released by TSR and we're part of a campaign to help sell the Dragonlance game books. Yeah. Or, not game books, because that means something else, but books that have to do with role-playing games. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they don't really hold up that well.
1: They're funnier right. if you do play D&D, because you can see a lot of the classes and races and things are running around, and it's kind of entertaining, but it pales quickly, because... um it's pretty dull. I remember one part in particular, I don't know which book it is, but there's a bit where they basically go and then the and then after running to the ice castle and defeating the snot out of a bunch of things, we're now here and I was like, Hey, that adventure sounded more awesome than anything you're doing right now.
0: So Yeah, the books actually have giant gaps like that where the quintessential mm-hmm. moment of the series, which should be finding the Dragonlance, because that's what the series is called, Yep. does not take place on screen. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that happened over there. Yeah, yeah. We had an adventure that we're not going to narrate directly, and we got the Dragonlances to defeat the Dragonlords. There are good dragons in these books, which yep. is why I would bring them up. Not many, though. <laughs> yeah,
1: but that's just because Dungeons & Dragons has lawful good neutral good, chaotic good dragons, so they had to be a couple in there to stay true to the source material.
0: Yeah, and there is a lot of stuff in here that I wouldn't consider appropriate for children that's just sort of thrown in. Yeah. Whereas the rest of the narrative is fairly juvenile.
1: Yeah, I'd just say it's mainly it's pretty boring. Yeah. Mm. Oh, but we could lift our spirits by thinking of not necessarily a novel that has a dragon in it, but a visual medium that has a dragon in it, and that would be Bone. Yes! Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bone is awesome. Yes, um, if we want to go too much into Bone, but there is a dragon in it, and yeah. it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and someday we are going to podcast on Bone specifically, that's why we're not going to talk about him too much right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, beyond saying Bone is great. Yeah. Oh, man.
1: You can let really young children read Bone. That's totally fine.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This isn't the Dragonlance situation. Um,
1: I'm sure there are more dra- dragon books out there because I suspect that we, the ones we've glossed over were ones that we encountered, but I think there was probably a rash of them around that time period in kind of the 90s.
0: Yeah, certainly after 1990, there was a glut of dragon-themed books. Um,
1: and... Those those we haven't encountered. Um, feel free to comment about them because sure, I'd love to check them out now. Why not? Um, also, we're aware of the Natural History of Dragons. I got that for Christmas because somebody not bought way. it. Yeah, somebody somebody bought that for me because there's a dragon on the cover, which is still a criteria that generally works for me. <laughs> And, uh, we'll and be p- His
0: Majesty's Dragon, which I sent to you, which is also not YA. Yeah,
1: which I read a paragraph of and said no. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thus disproving my theory that if it had a dragon on the cover, Marie would read
1: yes. it. <laughs> oh, and don't forget Tooth and Claw, also a dragon book, but we did a full podcast on that as well.
0: So now that we've gone through our definitive, maybe not definitive, list of dragon books, mm. we're going to toss out some ideas for the new... Middle grade best selling dragon themed novel that one of you in the audience is going to write after listening to it. Because let's face it, dragons this. are awesome. And it's yours. <laughs> We're giving you permission to take this idea and do what you will. <laughs> Run with it. <laughs> so, the title for this great epic novel that you are going to write is The Battle Hatchers of Dragonland. <laughs> <laughs> it is The Far Future. <clears throat> People are terraforming planets and making giant theme parks, essentially, for the wealthy. In mm-hmm. one of these theme parks, they breed dragons, and rich kids can go there and yep. hatch eggs. But at some point, something goes horribly wrong. A dark lord appears who cuts off this planet from the rest of the world. Bum,
1: bum, bum! it magic?
0: and <laughs> the kids, who are the main characters, <laughs> yep. are stuck on this planet and have to befriend the dragons, hatch the... And fight this dark lord, who has risen on this theme park planet of Dragonland.
1: <laughs> yep, go for so it, who guys! Who are the big
0: characters, Marie?
1: Who are the big characters? Oh, I think it's I think it's a uh, Mary Sue and, um, <laughs>
0: and Gary Stew. Yep, I'd be all over that. <laughs>
1: Uh, unlike Aragorn. be a
0: mentor figure, right? Yep, of course. <laughs> Who has a scar on his face. Yeah, cool. they always do. <laughs> Even Lakaran had a scar. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for some reason, technology doesn't work because of Dark Lord's magic. Yeah, is it magic?
1: Is it science? You don't need to say,
0: because really, in lots of these books, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just as long as there's dragons and teleport telepathy right
1: make sure the cover art is sufficiently showing a dragon being ridden by a young person and um it will sell millions mm-hmm. but unlike aragon we feel this is whimsical enough to stand <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes plus it's science fiction right yes so it appeals to both science fiction and fantasy fans I mean, elements of both. just like
1: anne mccaffrey here <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: uh thank you for listening to the one last sketch podcast this has been michael
1: This has been Marie.
0: If you want to listen to more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or go to my website, onelassketch.wordpress.com, which also features book reviews, articles, art, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. If you like the podcast, please leave a rating on iTunes or recommend it to someone else. We do try.